it's good to see you. If this is your first time here, let me just tell you how glad we are that, that you've come and, and you're visiting with us today. Uh, we pray that you'd make this your home and you could grow in your faith and you can grow in family. We believe that the church is really just about community and family, and so we just want to encourage you to dive in, be intentional about community. Even maybe for lunch today, be intentional. Go find someone that you don't know, maybe take them to lunch, somebody buy lunch, split lunch, split an appetizer, do something, and just get to know somebody and, and get in, uh, connected to community. I'm excited about today. Today we're just, we're stepping deeper into the Advent season and, and this journey, and uh, if you were with us last week, let me just catch you up briefly on what we talked about last week. Last week, we kind of got this whole thing started just by, by looking like Mary, like Jesus' mom. Why Mary? What was it about Mary in which God said, yeah, this teenage virgin can birth the Messiah. Why not? You know, What was it about this young girl that we probably wouldn't trust to you know, park our car that God, that God said, you know, I'm going to bring the Savior of the world through? And... Um, it's an interesting thing. What we really, as we just began to look at the text, we saw that, that really there was this incredible humility in Mary that she wasn't um, going to make it about her, but she was willing to be overshadowed um, by, by God. And in our calling, I think it kind of called back to us, are we willing to be overshadowed? Are we willing to make our lives about him and not about us and what we can bring to the table, but really about what he is his birthing inside of us. And really how in all this, she had incredible humility and faithfulness. We see that in Joseph as well in Matthew 1. And really in the life of Jesus, that he would be born in such a small town was not only a fulfillment of prophecy, but was just a monumental kind of clarity about the type of king in which he would be and live as he was on this earth with us. Um, and and we, we go forward today, and, and it's funny, I, I've just been thinking as I look around, and I've heard some really like inspiring stories this season, like of just people just giving and just heartfelt, just like taking care of people, and it warms my heart, but I, I'm also a bit of a cynic at times, and, and I, I'm not a cynic all the time, I'm a cynic at times. Remember I preached on that a couple of weeks ago about the glass being half full? But I have this kind of skepticism, and, and at least questioning, and I'm like, but what about the rest of the year? <laughs> what kind of people are we the other 11 months, another, uh, the other 10 and a half months? What's going on then? Why just this season, this time of the year? And, and so I think that's a, a little bit interesting, um, but at, at the same time, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Grateful people are, are being generous, and there's something that stirs us. And one of the things that kind of happens at this time of year is these phrases that come from Scripture, these ideas that come from Scripture are, are used, but they're used like commercially. They're, they're used like the Scriptures have been commercialized, and basically the gospel of, of Jesus coming here to save us from our sins is, has been commercialized, and with that the gospel has been neutered, and, and a neutered gospel is no gospel at all. We, we, we actually, what's happening in America is like it's Christmas, but really we've made it something of idolatry and something in, in its own that's really pagan in its roots and not really the true meaning of Christmas. And, and so we're, we're a part of this and we're diving deeper into the text. And there's two words that kind of get used and become like super commercialized and you go like into Starbucks and it's on your cups. And, and there's two words that I think are in scripture and it's peace and joy that like peace on earth, joy to the world. You know, we, we see these phrases this time of year more than any other except for like in the beauty queen things like peace on earth, you know. That's the only other time we really see that phrase come up much, 
And why? So I'm interested in why and have we maybe lost the meaning of these words that I think are major for our lives. I think these are major. And again, talking about the Christmas season, we're not just, when we do a series here, we're not just like going through like a series. Like God is putting building blocks on our spiritual walk. As we go forward, we're different. We're transformed by, by the gospel. We're cha- transformed by Jesus working in us. And so we're just building blocks that, that kind of change who we are in the future. And, and so let's dive into the text. And we're going to be going to Luke chapter 2 here in just a moment. And, and the further we go into this, this series and this Christmas Advent season, we're going to be really looking not about the presence that we can bring and, and, and receive, but really the presence, the presence of Jesus um, who is Emmanuel, literally means God with us, the presence that Jesus brings into our life, and then furthermore, the presence that, that God wants to use in us in this life. And so we're going to look at these two words, in, in peace and joy, and they seem like kind of a little bit similar, but I believe these are so deeply intertwined in a, quite the radical, transformational way. And if you're struggling with peace or with joy, or maybe you just see these views, I, I want to encourage you just to, to dive in deep with me and, and allow God to, to speak to us in our life, because we all need peace and we all need joy. And, and I want to look at the scripture and see where these come up. So again, last week we, we talked about, we, we were in um, Luke chapter 1, the two narr- birth narratives are in, in Matthew and in Luke, and so we were looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and that's where we see that Mary receives her call. And, and if you remember back in that text, uh, when Mary is um, visited by an angel to, to kind of bring this call, the first thing that happens is, is not super heartwarming. She's like afraid. <laughs> it's not like something we think about a whole lot, but she was afraid. That was her first reaction to all this was fear. Um, and then we look at Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and, and, and God brings an angel to him to confirm. And guess what? Joseph happens to Joseph. He's afraid. <laughs> he's scared. Yeah, I like that. He's, he's scared too. He's afraid. And, and so it's kind of interesting. We think about all these heartwarming things, but we don't think about things like in a stable. It was probably bloody and really like, gross to look at. It's not like this beautiful nativity scene. It was probably crazy. There was a lot of feces around, and there was, you know, there was a, a lot more kind of gruesomeness to the story. And so even in the fact that they were afraid, their first reaction was fear. And we're going to see that again from some other people. Fear is going to show up. So let's go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin from verse 1. We're going to read those first, I think, 12 or 13 verses to begin. 12 verses, I think, to start with. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census, census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was uh, governor of Syria. Remember, Luke is a historian. He's given like the exact time of when this took place. And everyone went to their town uh, their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Remember we talked about last week the prophecies that were that Jesus would come from the line of David. We already found out in Luke chapter 1 that Mary was of that line, and, and Joseph, even as an adopted father, was also f- from that line of David. And this is a big thing in, in, in messianic prophecy, in, in messianic, in, in Jewish thinking, is that he would come because they really wanted him to look like David. They, they really wanted the chiseled halves and the great, like, beautiful leader who played guitar and sang and who, who kind of rose up from the ashes and was a great military leader, had his issues, but was a great military leader. That's what, the, that's what Jews wanted, and, and, but they're going to find something pretty different 
Uh, and, it, and it's tough for us to believe. He went uh, there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Remember last week, again, we talked about this. This isn't like our engagement, like we understood. And for her to be pregnant while they were engaged was a huge deal. Like it was like punishable by death. And there was like forms of death that they could choose from, and none of them were good. They were like stoning, beheading, being burned. Like it was intense, okay? So Judaism kind of took that approach out, and they kind of put betrothal and and uh, pledgement, or whatever you want to call it, and marriage together so they wouldn't have to k- kill people, which is just funny how they changed that. So they, anyway, uh, we don't live un- under that same law, but um, some of the same principles do apply. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So they went in for the census, they had a report, and, and she gave, which, think about that, that was a big deal. Like, like, it was a big step of faith to kind of go and do your, your duty anyway, um, because of what people were saying. Remember, he came from a small town. Everybody knew what was going on. Uh, that it was just a town of two or 300 people. She gave birth to the, her firstborn son, uh, firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Let's continue. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. You guys have heard about the shepherds. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And guess what? They were terrified. So here we have Mary, terrified. Joseph, terrified. Now these shepherds, who have probably seen and done a lot out in the fields, are terrified too. We think of shepherds as kind of like little timid people. But they were, like, they might have not been a whole lot to look at, but they were fierce fighters. You see some of these MMA fighters, like, or, or like big athletes. Like, if you saw them on the street, you're like, he doesn't look like he could be doing that. But they were fierce. Like they, they had to, to defend their flock all the time. So if we look at the life of David, he was defending against bears and lions. And so these guys are, are terrified out in the field. So fear is, I think, something really just to, man, we're going to do a series on fear and love one day. But it's just, it's a, interesting. And so why are they afraid? Why are Mary, why are Joseph? Well, the obvious answer would be um, they've got angels that just showed up. And it's probably not every day that they get, you know, Angels in the outfield, like in their, in their bedroom or out in the field. They haven't seen this all the time. That's one of my wife's favorite movies. She loves to quote angels in the outfield. And um, her, her favorite line, and, and I'm not afraid to say, um, is uh, when they're in the, this has nothing to do with my message, don't worry. They're in the stadium, and the little boy um, comes, and after the guy's already sat on the, nacho, uh, the nachos, and uh, uh, here comes nacho butt. That's, the, <laughs> that's like her favorite line. She thinks that's funny because the guy had sat on nachos. Nothing to do with it. <laughs> An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. So obviously, like, they were terrified there was angels. But I, I think the momentary reaction is obviously much deeper. The momentary reaction is obviously much deeper. The fear that they're, they're dealing with. I think at that moment, they only know that that reaction, but then it, it gets deeper and deeper. And I think we know that by the response and, and by the rest of what the angel says. So to Mary, he said, don't be afraid because you're favored of God. To Joseph, he, he says, don't be afraid because this is of God. This is of the Holy Spirit. Like, so I, I think he's bringing some confirmation to what's taking place. So the first thing is, you know, because you're favored of God. The second thing is, is because this is of God. And I think Joseph, of all people in this, he needed to hear that. Because he was wanting to like divorce her quietly and kind of make sure she wouldn't like you know be be beheaded or anything like that because they always you know pun- seem to punish the women a lot more than the men, um, their society. 
Um, and, and so I think it's an interesting thing that, that happens here that um, Joseph receives this too. God is, this, God is in this. He needs to hear that. And these shepherds, look what's going to follow, follow what the angel's saying here. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. He's like, it's good news. It's good news. I remember we had some friends um, uh, here that, that they were going through a tough time and, and one of their family members were really just on, on the, the verge of death and, and they, they knew it was coming. Doctors had told them it was just a, a short time. And so we were around them quite a bit during the weekend and every time she would get a call, man, I, you could just see it all over her face. She was scared to death. Every, every time, every, she was like, this is, I mean, you just have that gripping. Some of you have been there. Every time you're waiting on that phone call and you just know like this could be like it. Um, it it's, if you've ever been in that place, you know that kind of pain and that kind of terrified thing. And so it's good to know that on the other side, it is, it's only going to be good news coming. And so that's what the angel is bringing kind of peace to the situation is I bring you great news, good news that will cause great joy. And so I think at first we've got to know that this has kind of come out of fear and the response that you are favored, God is in this, and then this is good news. It's kind of something that kind of sets the bed for the rest of the text here. And the angels say, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And this word joy, it's the, um, the Greek, I've kind of got cotton mouth, so I can't really do it, but it's hara, um, it's like a chada, but it's like silent K, um, so hara, and it's the same word joy that we see um, Paul talk about in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, and that's talking about us, that, that we were the joy in which he endured the cross for, and so it's the same word that, so for Jesus, and this can get, get tricky, so for Jesus, joy was you and me. That like we are Jesus's joy. We often think about the joy that Jesus can bring to us, but when's the last time, put this all into perspective, that you realize that that you are Jesus's joy. That you are cherished by God. You're not just a number. You, you don't just blend in. But you're you're cherished. You are his joy. So much so that he would endure the cross. So it's the same exact Greek word here in which it's going to cause great joy. And joy is a, a deep, deep thing. Not Happiness is kind of a, a, a momentary you know, period of time where uh, it's a response to um, kind of temporary highs. But joy, I believe, is an eternal response. Happiness is a temporary response. I think joy is an eternal response that no matter the ups and downs, the joy of the Lord is with us. And I think Nehemiah gives us one of the most beautiful windows in the depths of the, what, the role that joy plays in our life. Um, and just to kind of give you the background on Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Not a glamorous job. Uh, he had to have a high tolerance probably for alcohol. And, and so he was a cupbearer because he tried everything. That means like if he dies, he dies. It was a very high-risk job. Probably didn't get paid much. Um, but he was cupbearer to the king. He, he got to try it first. Uh, I'll have you know that my son is our, our bread bearer here. He always tries it and makes sure it's good before you try it. Every morning he comes in 
and he tests it and makes sure that the bread is safe for you. So just so you know, we have one of those here too. Um, so Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, and it's this long history, but the, and I'll just kind of shorten everything down. God called him to rebuild the, temp, uh, to rebuild the wall, uh, walls around Jerusalem, which was a major task for a guy with no experience in that field. And um, Nehemiah was kind of uh, nervous, but he was constantly in prayer. You look through the book of Nehemiah, constantly in prayer. And, and God asked him to do some big, major things, and he steps out on faith every single time, uh, like going into the king's presence, uh, being sad in the king's presence, stuff that could have him killed, just being sad in the king's presence. So long story short, they rebuild the, the, the walls, these massive walls that were super thick and miles long. He brings together the, the diaspora, the Jews that have been scattered all over the place. He kind of rallies the troops back in Jerusalem, back in their hometown after they had been burnt with fire and burned down and destroyed. He kind of rallies the troops and, and, and they get to this place where they rebuild the, the walls in 52 days, which is an incredible feat. Trained men and, and, and uh, you know, teams couldn't do this, but he kind of gets these you know, preachers you know, and keepers of the law and, and just random people with no experience in this field, and they pull it together and they make it happen. It was an incredible victory. But in that, God wasn't just doing a physical call to get something done physically. He was doing something spiritually. He was doing something spiritually in them and, and renewing their relationship with him and their commitment to him, their faithfulness to, to him, to use the word that, that we talked about last week. He was renewing more than a physical call to do something. And I think this is, this is huge for us. If you just feel like you're fulfilling like a practical, physical sense, there's always a layer spiritually to what God's doing in your life. There's always something spiritually God's doing in your life. And in this, so they do, and in this, they, they decide to fast and mourn and weep because they realize that they had just had forgotten about God and really taken him for granted. And, and so they're just kind of heartbroken. And so they go through this time of fasting. And in and, and Nehemiah 8, um, chapter 8, verse 10, he says this incredible, incredible phrase. And I think the Lord spoke it to him. And he just said, Look, like the time of mourning's over because the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is is our strength. And this phrase, it speaks volumes to us today when it comes to the joy that God has for us. The great joy of why he came on this earth, why he came to this earth. It's so that we would experience joy, that we wouldn't constantly feel this, this weight of the world on our shoulders, but we would experience joy and life in Jesus. And the joy of the Lord being our strength, that means you've got to protect it with all that you have. This isn't something we, we think about often, is protecting the joy. We think about protecting our stuff. We lock our doors up, right? We lock our doors up at night. You know, everybody lock your doors. You, you, I know people that move from like small towns and move into town, they have to remember to start locking their doors, you know. Um, but we lock that. We lock our physical possessions up. But what about the spiritual possessions that God has given us? Do you protect those? Do you guard joy in your life? Because Nehemiah gives us the depth of it. It's your strength, and that means if it runs out, like, where are you at? Like, no wonder, like, we feel like we do is, is because we haven't protected joy, and, and I think we can help each other protect that joy and encouraging each other, but that's the good news. That's the good news. The good news is first to you. The good news is to you. God's got joy for you. His relationship for you shouldn't be just an up and down one. It should be filled with joy no matter what happens in this world. So 
not only is joy to us, but I believe joy is supposed to be through us. And so we're going to be looking at peace in the same fashion, to and, and through. But <clears throat> you guys remember Ed McMahon and the uh, publisher's clearinghouse? You guys ever think of like what it would be to not just receive a million dollars, but to give a million dollars? Like, wouldn't you love to make that phone call? I, I heard this story recently about um, a guy who... Um, uh, his brother had passed away, and his brother's wish was that he would go out to restaurants and he would tip $500 to the waitresses uh, or, or the servers. What a cool thing. Like, that was his, like, last kind of will uh, and testament was to have his, ha- have his brother go around the country and just, like, spreading joy. And so here's what we need to really do. What if, how would our life change if we really woke up, not with the thought of, oh, I've got to go to work, or I've got to do this, or, or that, but what if we, our eyes begin to, to look like this? I get to, like, give the greatest gift ever today. I've been given the greatest gift ever, and, and I get to give the greatest gift ever. I mean, it, it changes our life in a really monumental way that, that we get to not only experience this joy for ourselves, but share it. Wouldn't you love to, like, if you had a million dollars and you couldn't keep it, wouldn't it feel amazing? Because I know, we've, you know, like, I keep it. That's what I would do. <laughs> um, but if, if, you, if you had to give it away, to, to give it away, can you imagine that emotion? We've done that in very small kind of steps in most of our lives, like, like giving it away, that joy, that that we have in that. It's an incredible experience that God's put in our heart. So it's not just to us, but it's, it's going through us. And we're going to see that about the shepherds. It's going to continue, and they're going to begin to spread that joy. So let's continue. Today in the town of David, David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. It sounds like a lot more angels just kind of showed up here. So it kind of gives it this very kind of dramatic effect. Like there's some angels there, and then there's all these angels. It becomes like an epic moment, it feels here. Suddenly, a great hum- uh, company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God. And listen to what they say here. Glory to God in the highest heaven. This is their words of comfort to somebody else has just turned into just sheer joy and praise. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think when God really begins to work in our lives, our, our just mere words just turn into praise. And I'll be honest with you, there was a time in my life in which I, I didn't even like hearing about good things that were happening in people's lives. I didn't even want to hear somebody's testimony. I almost got annoyed by it. <laughs> it was because my own lack of joy my own lack of peace in my life. I didn't even want to hear it. In fact, I, I wanted to just shut people's mouths sometimes because I couldn't experience it for myself. But it was, it's good news to everyone. And, and here it says, on, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the, the joy is deep. It's our strength. And then the other element here is, is peace that kind of shows up in the angel's praise. And, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace is a deep thing. It's extremely deep. Like joy is, is deeper. Peace is extremely deep. And in our understanding, it's very, like, I need peace for this moment. But in the Jewish understanding, they have the understanding of shalom, which is far deeper and greater than our kind of, I need peace or peace on earth, you know, beauty queen. It, the reason people kind of respond like that to the beauty queen statement is because it feels so superficial right? It's like, yeah, bull, like bull, you know? That's kind of our response to that, but with the Jewish understanding of peace and shalom, it was complete wholeness. 
It was complete peace. It was inward. It was outward. It was to your left. It was to your right. It included your finances. It included your family. included your work life. included your physical health. And when someone wished, it wasn't like the hippies kind of get the credit for like peace, but the Jews were the first ones to be like, shalom, man. I mean, because that was how they would greet each other before and after was with shalom. And when they'd say that to each other, they'd greet each other. I'm praying peace and wholeness and completeness over your entire life. I don't just hope you have a good day. I'm praying peace over your well-being and your life. And some of us, all we've ever experienced was moments of peace, moments of happiness, but we've never experienced hara, and we've never experienced shalom. And God wants to radically transform our hearts and how we approach this life. As the angels, it's, it's birthed in their comfort to someone and also their praise here is that God wants peace for us and shalom to our lives. It's a complete wholeness. But look what it says. It's to those on whom his favor rests. Like we can leave this here. We cannot even look at this verse and just be like, peace, God wants that for me. But we've got to look at this last part, on whom his favor rests. Another way to look at favor is whom God is pleased. You've got to remember, God, God loves because he, in fact, is love. So he cannot cease to love. He's the definition of love. But we have to understand that just because God loves you doesn't mean he's always pleased with you. I, I love my child unconditionally, but I'm not always pleased with him. You guys get that. So the same thing is true of favor. Like, God doesn't have to favor us, but it's those in who he's pleased. So what, it, what does that look like to God? And I think Jesus put it best in, an, in another part of, of Luke chapter 11, verse 28. And Jesus said, even more blessed favor. Even more blessed are those who not only hear the word, but who also do what? They obey it. You know, you're going to be even more blessed if you don't just hear it and you don't just come, but you're actually like living that. You want favor in your life, then, then start being obedient to Jesus. And if you don't know what that is, like he's given us an incredible book and he's given us an incredible community to figure that out. That's what's beautiful is you're not in this alone. God is with us and we are in this thing together. And we often feel like an island trying to figure this out, especially in times where feels like families are getting together and we have this idea of what that looks like for everybody else, like everybody else's family isn't jacked up like yours, you know, <laughs> like, like everybody else doesn't have a crazy uncle, you know, we get this idea of what it looks like so we begin to feel really alone and Jesus, above all, in his very identity is Emmanuel, God with us, he's with us, he's bringing hada and, and shalom to our life. And so he wants this peace to get to us. And so that's the first element. I mean, and if you're struggling, you don't feel like you have favor, you don't have, you feel like you have peace in your life, I think it, um, I think it, it we, we really got to look at what we sow. Because in James chapter 3, verse 18, um, James says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace reach, reap a harvest of righteousness. If, if we don't feel peace, we don't feel joy in our home, we don't feel it in the workplace, um, let, me, let me just ask you, what are we sowing in there? Peacemakers who sow peace reap righteousness. I, I think that, you know, we can get caught up with, okay, because I begin to sow peace, that means I'm going to get it. Yeah, not necessarily. But I think for in your own life, you do. 
righteousness. I think it's about your right actions. You're walking in what God's obedience. Peacemakers who sow in peace. And so if we don't feel like we're getting that in our own life, let me ask you what you're sowing. Like, are you sowing gossip? Are you sowing complaining? Are you, and, and let me first tell you that I don't think we ought to be liars to God. First of all, that's a, a stupid kind of um, hobby because God knows. Um, I, I think we've got to be honest and so I'm getting into the practical aspects of what this looks like because more so God's working in us, you know, in this process as we learn to sow peace. And so if we're not reaping that in our own lives, I mean, we can't sow fried chicken and hope to get an orange tree. Like, we got to sow what we expect to reap, so sow peace. Sow that over people. Bless your enemies. Bless those who curse you, the things that Jesus taught. Begin to do that. Because here's the thing right here. Peace gives you an incredible opportunity to experience joy. Um, it's the only opportunity because w- without it, we're kind of consumed with the, the busyness of life and the, the weights around us. So peace and joy work so intimately together because the joy of the Lord gives you the strength to stay at peace. That You see how they're working together in this relationship and, and these principles and these things that God wants for our life are here. Both are fully known in Jesus um, uh, in Jesus at work for us, uh, in and through us. And, and so God wants that for our lives. Uh, Jesus in the Beatitudes, some of you guys will recognize what the Beatitudes is. It's Matthew chapter 5. It's, his first, it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' biggest first sermon. It's like, I'm coming to the stage, we're going to light this show up. And, and so he comes and he, he gives these Beatitudes and he talks about what it really looks like to be blessed. Because he's kind of breaking an understanding of what they had thought it means to be blessed. So he's bringing this new understanding, and he says, blessed um, are the peacekeepers, the peacemakers, um, for they will be called the children of God. See, God's not only trying to get that to us, but he's trying to get it through us, where people will recognize in your life. Because stuff happens, there's chaos in life, there's storms of life, there's ups and there's downs, and it happens. But here's the thing, people are going to know that there's something happening inside of you that, that sustains you during the junk. If our lives look like the same up and down journey of everybody else's, um, you know, because that's how we respond to situations, what are they really seeing the difference? And, and Jesus is saying, this is, is really how they see that in you. That's how they see that in you. Because if you have peace in, in your life, you know, you're going to be a light to the world when the chaos comes, when the storms come. And if you have joy in your life, our response isn't the same. Without, in our spiritual weakness, I would say it like this, in our spiritual weakness, um, the, the, the storms of this life seem far greater than what they are in our weakness. You know, when, when we're not centered in Christ, when we don't have that peace and joy, everything seems a lot worse than what it is. But when we are rooted in peace, peace and joy, everything feels like nothing. You know what I mean? Because uh, it's, uh, it's some of the things we talked about before, our perspective has changed. God is made that new, and let me be real, like, that's uh, so much harder to live than what it is to say. I can say it up here all the time, but for some of you that are walking through those seasons right now where you have no peace and you have no joy, it's tough to wrap our brain around and how to live it, and before we try to start figuring out how to live it, just, like, we've got to receive it. We've got to receive it. You can't give what you don't have, and just receive that in our lives. God, God is doing a work in us first. His presence is here with us, and he wants us to, to know the hara. He wants us to know the joy that he has for us. He wants us to experience that, to be our strength, and he wants, he wants that shalom to be in our life, around our entire life. 
but it happens through obedience. It hap- God, it's that peace is on who his favor rests. Those that walk in obedience, even more blessed are those who actually obey it. And so I don't know where you're at in, in all of this, and, and the further we get deeper into the Advent season, it's going to be about giving our presence. Like, not just the gifts, the small gifts that we can buy people, but truly the greatest gift of all, and it's, and it's Christ. He's the gift that surpasses all the other gifts. And I just want to invite you just to receive Jesus today in his fullness and receive his work for you. It's easy to get consumed with what you can do for Jesus, but remember, you were his joy before you ever had joy in him. And so I want us to experience that today in whatever level that looks like. And, and, and just the depth of joy, the depth of peace, and allow God to, to bring rest to our souls in this. And I think what greater, what more stable influence has been our series? What more stable influence can there be than a believer who becomes the light of the world in their chaos and in their troubles? They become a light of the world that Jesus talked about in that same sermon. He said, you're the light of the world. That's, you're a city on a hill. People recognize you. And they may not right now, but... Especially when you're on the high, you know, they may actually despise you when, you when you're doing well. But when things are tough and you still have peace and you still have joy, that's, that's when you become the light of the world. We want to be the light of the world on, on, you know, in front of everyone, which everyone's celebrating about all of our raises and all our successes. But can, can you receive the joy and can you get those accolades in the darkest times? And when it comes to influence... Um, I heard Craig Rochelle say this quote, and he says, the more influence you want to have for the kingdom of God, the more suffering you got to be willing to endure. Not in front of everybody when no one's watching. The greater influence you're going to have, the more suffering you're going to endure. Uh, we lost uh, Nelson Mandela, a, a brother in Christ this week. He was a Jesus guy. What he had inside of him to not be, perse- or to love and bless his enemies, those that would chain him up. It's because of what Jesus was doing on inside of him. No one's going to talk about that. But you can look back. You find some other quotes. You find, you find the heart of Nelson Mandela. That's what Jesus had done in his life. There was, he could experience that peace and that joy in that, and that he wasn't going to fight back. We saw incredible triumph in his life. I mean... He's been celebrated this week. He'll probably, he's going to be more celebrated this month than Jesus it will be. Let's just be real. I don't think that weirds Jesus out. I really don't. Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I did. And if I was a disciple, if I was John the Baptist at that time, I'd be like, yeah, right, Jesus. If I was Mark, I'd be like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Jesus said that. He said, you're going to do even greater things than I did. And I just wonder, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our ups and our downs, if God can receive glory through us. Through us just being at rest and peace and experiencing joy, no matter what the situation, and sharing that with the world around us. You got the good news. You get to share it, man. It's a cool, cool gift that keeps on giving, you know, just to betray it. So I want to ask you to stand with me today. 
And if there's a person um, just around you, I, I'd like for us to just connect with someone for just a moment. If you're here by yourself or um, not, I'd just like you to make a connection with someone um, just to, to be in prayer with each other this, uh, in these next few moments. And I, and I want us to pray for each other. If you don't know how to pray, like it's really simple. Just talk. You're just talking to God. Disciples didn't know how to pray, and they said, how, how do we do this? He said, just approach him, our Father, Abba. Just approach him like you'd approach the best example of a dad that you may or may not have had, the dream of a dad. Remember, we looked, he's humble and he's gentle in heart. Just approach him. I want to pray that you approach him on behalf of someone that's standing next to you right now. They would experience that peace. They would experience that joy that we'd be joined together as brothers and sisters in Christ today. So I want you to make some kind of connection if you're holding their hand, hand on the shoulder, whatever you got to do just with that person. I'm going to pray briefly and I want to ask that you just pray over them in this, in this same time. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I thank you most of all, God, that you are here with us. God, you are here with us in this moment, in this time, in our struggle, in our pain, in our doubt, in our fears. God, we don't have to be afraid because your favor rests on us. God, we don't have to be afraid because this is of God. God, we don't have to be afraid because there's good news to us. It's going to cause great joy for everybody. God, I pray that our, our simple words, our simple prayers would turn to praise. God, it, it would move beyond just a fight and a struggle, but in the midst of struggle would resound praise. In the midst of fear would peace overwhelm and shine bright. In their anxieties, God, we'd be a light to the world. In our failures, you'd lift us up. God, it blows my mind that we are your hala. It blows my mind, God, that we were your joy in which you went to the cross for. God, help me too experience that same joy that would change the world. God, help us to experience shalom and pray shalom and so shalom, God, in our home, in our workplace, in our schools, God, wherever. God, so that we could reap a harvest. Help us to find a rest in you, Jesus.